Well, all semester long, I've been wondering what the connection is between Psalm 1 and the Reformation. It begins by exhorting uh, to immerse oneself in the law, which sounds like kind of an un-Lutheran thing to do. Uh, but my curiosity was satisfied when I looked up the, um, the context in which um, our chaplain and research librarian uh, chose uh, Psalm 1, and it had to do with uh, one of the sermons that Cranmer had in his book of homilies. And after reading Cranmer's uh, homily, I decided that uh, I couldn't really improve much upon what Cranmer did. And in fact, the homilies were written in order to be uh, read through the Church of England so that the Church of England might um, better understand the theological underpinnings of the, uh, of the Reformation. So uh, in your handout, um, I'm, I have uh, the entire homily. We're not going to read it all this morning. But we are going to read those parts that I have just etched with a little horizontal line along the right. And I want to begin by just setting a brief contemporary context. In March of 2017, Brent Strawn of Emory University uh, published a book called The Old Testament is Dying. And in it, he argues that um, the stories of the Old Testament are uh, becoming um, unknown. And comparing the narrative of the Old Testament to a language, he says, we're facing uh, the loss of a language. Uh, we don't know our Bibles like we used to. And my own feeling is that part of the reason for that has to do with um, not the Roman Catholic Church discouraging us from reading our Bibles, but rather all of the other things that are around. Uh, Hollywood and Netflix, I think, are as much to blame as um, anyone could have blamed the Roman Catholic Church in the time. So this is an exhortation to um, immerse oneself in Holy Scripture. And in the few moments that we have, I simply propose to read those portions from Cranmer, uh, an updated English version of Cranmer that I got off the, uh, the web, courtesy of Cranmer House. And I invite you to uh, imagine yourself uh, in England during the Reformation, maybe hearing this as something that um, Cranmer crafted for our benefit. And you can follow along in the handout if you like, or else you can just uh, listen. And again, it's the parts that are etched with a, a horizontal line or with a vertical line in your margin. To a Christian, nothing is either more necessary or more profitable than the knowledge of Holy Scripture. For it is God's true word, setting forth his glory and man's duty. Therefore, all who desire to enter the right and perfect way unto God must apply their minds to know Holy Scripture. Without it, they cannot adequately know God and his will, nor can they know their office and duty. As drink is pleasant to the thirsty and food to the hungry, so is the reading, hearing, searching, and studying of Holy Scripture to those who desire to know God and to do his will, or to know themselves. By contrast, those who despise the heavenly knowledge and spiritual food of God's word show themselves to be so drowned in worldly vanities that they cannot savor God or godliness. It is for that very reason that they desire vanities rather than the true knowledge of God. People who are sick with malaria find that whatever they eat or drink, no matter how good it may be, tastes as bitter as wormwood. Not because the food is bitter, but because of their illness caused a corrupt and bitter disposition in their own tongue. In this same way, the bitterness or the sweetness of God's word is bitter, not of itself, 
but only unto those who have their minds corrupted with long custom of sin and love of this world. Therefore, let us forsake the company of those who follow after the flesh, and instead reverently hear and read Holy Scripture, which is the food of the soul. Let us diligently search for the well of life in the books of the New and Old Testaments, and not run to the stinking puddles of men's traditions, devised by man's imagination for our justification and sanctification. Whoever is diligent to read the word and to imprint upon his heart what he reads will have his affections for the transitory things of this world diminished and his great desire of heavenly things, which are therein promised of God, increased. I'm skipping down a little bit for the sake of time. Um, in the reading of God's word, the one who profits most is not the one who can quickly locate passages or the one who can recite many passages by rote. Instead, the one who profits most is he who is most attuned to its message, who is most inspired with the Holy Ghost, whose heart and life are changed by what he reads in the word. It is he who is daily less proud, less wrathful, less covetous, and less desirous of worldly and vain pleasures. It is he who daily, forsaking his old sinful life, increases in virtue more and more. In sum, there's nothing more, there's nothing that more maintains godliness of the mind and drives away ungodliness than the continual reading and hearing of God's word. If we profess Christ, why are we not ashamed to be ignorant of his doctrines? A man would be ashamed to be called a philosopher if he does not read the philosophy books, or to be called a lawyer, an astronomer, or a physician who is ignorant in the books of those professions. How can any man then say that he professes Christ and his religion if he will not imply himself as much as he is able to read and hear and so to know the books of Christ's gospel and doctrine? Although other sciences are good and should be learned, no man can deny that this is the chief of all learning and incomparably passes all other knowledge. What excuse should we therefore make at the last day before Christ if we delight to hear of men's fantasies and inventions more than his most holy gospel? What excuse should we make if we will not find time to do that which chiefly above all things we should do? If we rather read of the things instead of the one thing for which we ought to lay aside reading of all other things? Let us therefore apply ourselves as often as time and leisure permit to know God's word by diligent hearing and reading thereof, as many as profess God's word and have faith and trust in him. But those who show no affection for God's word commonly give one of two empty excuses. Some excuse themselves by their own frailty and fearlessness, or fearfulness, saying that they dare not read Holy Scripture lest through their ignorance they should fall into any kind of error. Others pretend the difficulty of understanding it is so great that it is suitable to be read only by clergymen and scholars. Well, regarding the first excuse, ignorance of God's word is actually the cause of all error. As Christ himself affirmed to the Sadducees, saying that they erred because they did not know the scriptures. How then can those who choose to be ignorant avoid error? And how will they then come out of ignorance if they will neither read nor hear the very thing that will give them this knowledge. But what if you are still afraid that you will fall into error by the reading of Holy Scripture? 
I will tell you how you may read it without danger of error. Read it humbly, with a meek and lowly heart, and for the purpose of glorifying God, not yourself, with the knowledge of it. Daily pray to God that he would direct your reading to good effect, and do not try to expound it any further than you can plainly understand it. Well, concerning the second excuse, the difficulty in understanding Scripture, he who is so weak that he is unable to bear strong meat may still consume the sweet and tender milk and defer the rest until he grows stronger and more knowledgeable. Although many things in Scripture are spoken in obscure mysteries, nothing is obscure in one place that is not in other places spoken more familiarly and plainly so as to be understood by both the educated and the uneducated. Regarding those things that in Scripture that are plain to understand and necessary for salvation, every man's duty is to learn them, to print them in memory, and effectually to exercise them. As for the dark mysteries, every man's duty is to be content to be ignorant in them until it pleases God to open these things to him. Well, thus we have briefly touched upon some of the products of God's holy word, which is one of God's principal benefits given and declared to mankind here on earth. Let us thank God heartily for his great and special gift. Let us be glad to stir up this precious gift of our Heavenly Father. Let us hear, read, and know these holy rules, injunctions, and statutes of our Christian religion, upon which we made profession of God at our baptism. Let us with fear and reverence lay up in the treasure chest of our hearts these necessary and fruitful lessons. And then, alluding directly to Psalm 1, he continues, Let us night and day muse, meditate upon, contemplate them. Let us ruminate, and as it were, chew the cud, that we may have the sweet juice, spiritual effect, marrow, honey, kernel, taste, comfort, and consolation of them. And by that means, in this world, we shall have God's defense, favor, and grace, with the unspeakable solace of peace and quietness of consciousness, conscience. And after this life of misery, we shall enjoy the endless bliss and glory of heaven, which is granted to us by him who died for us all, Jesus Christ, to whom, be the fa- to whom with the Father and the Holy Ghost be all honor and glory forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let us immerse ourselves in the understanding of Holy Scripture. To God's glory and our benefit. Amen.